This episode of the Vergecast brought to you by eight mattresses. Eight is smart. It's Wait, how many of them? Eight. Okay. <laughs> eight eight whole mattresses. No, the company's called Eight Mattresses. Oh. Eight is smart. It's the iPhone compared to the flip phone of mattresses. Unlike foam counterparts, the Eight Smart Mattress is an innovative bed that uses real technology to help people sleep better and live healthier. Sleeping on Eight, you can discover how many hours of sleep you need each night to feel energized. You can optimize your day and night by connecting it to other Wi-Fi-enabled products in your home. If you need coffee in the morning to function, you can program your smart mattress to start brewing your coffee the minute you get out of bed. And just live in that reality and with yourself at that time. The 8 Smart Mattress has everything you need to meet your individual needs. Visit 8sleep.com slash verge and then use code verge to get $125 off all mattresses plus free shipping and free returns. That's 8-E-I-G-H-T sleep.com slash verge and use that offer code verge to redeem this offer. Hello and welcome to the Vergecast, the flagship podcast of the the Verge situation mm-hmm. and our larger Vox Media situation, <laughs> the the Vox Media Podcast Network, of which you are to be made aware of, so that you might listen to all of the podcasts mm-hmm. in the Vox Media. And if you're uh, an ad buyer, uh, email somebody. It's like a web ring. You remember web rings? <laughs> yeah, it's like that. <laughs> Click to the next one. Yeah. Welcome to GeoCities.com. Anyway, I'm Neil Patel. I'm here. Paul Miller's here. Hey, Paul. Hello. Dieter Bones on the phone. Hey, it rhymes. Hello. Hi. And Addie Robertson is joining us today. Hey, Addie. Hey. How are things? Yeah. So, you're Addie, you're, we should just start. Yeah. Which, with something that is supposed to be, like, the biggest news in the history of technology, but is actually just, just a, a motorized scooter. It's just a scooter. That's all it is. <laughs> uh, Magic Leap published their, their website. This week, with some photos of their their VR goggles. Addie, you want to walk us through the, that whole situation? Yeah. So, Magic Leap, if you've been around reading the internet for the past few years, has gotten like $2 billion from Google and a bunch of investment banks and a bunch of other tech investors. Like, it's gotten a ridiculous amount of money. And yesterday, it finally showed something for literally the first time ever. And yeah. it's a pair of glasses that look kind of like uh, Riddick's goggles. And they're supposedly shipping in 2018. And we don't know exactly what the specs are. We don't really know how much it's going to cost. But we know it exists. Well, do we? <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, so they invited Rolling Stone. And Rolling Stone was like, hey, we tried this thing. Actually, it's good. Not, not just Rolling Stone. A, a person we know, yeah. Brian Crescente, who used to work at Polygon. Who is it's like the most... If if he wore a fedora with the little press tag, yeah. you wouldn't be surprised because he's <laughs> so old school journalist. Yeah. yeah. But he went there and he tried the thing on and mm-hmm. he said it was good. It was a long article. Right. At the same time, they also went to Pitchfork. Addie, you wrote about this and had, what was it, Sigur Ross, like talk about yes. how they were going to like pull fish out of the sky. It was very esoteric. Yeah. Uh, so they made like a music visualization tool that does sound neat. It just is something that I feel like I've seen a bunch of in VR. And I'm like, oh, yeah, it's one of those. There's the headset, which looks insane. Mm-hmm. And it's got all kinds of cameras on the front. It's called, the, it's, the, it's, once again, it's for creators. It's creator edition. A, it's a the real magic, Microsoft move. The product is called the Magic Leap One. Yeah. Creator edition. There were not enough things called the One yet. Yeah, yeah. There's not enough things called the One, and there's not enough things called Creator Edition. Creator Edition is like the world's biggest cop-out, I've decided. We we made a bunch of stuff. We don't know what they're actually for, but we think they're kind of cool. So we're just going to say it's for creators and hope. I think it's the new developer kit. Yeah. I like it better than Innovator Edition. That's true. <laughs> it, I think this is going to cost like 1000 or maybe even $2,000. I think it's going to be five. Well, HoloLens costs like 3000 Yeah, this thing, yeah, this is going to be $4,000. I feel like in from reading the Rolling Stone piece, they're trying to let people know this is going to be a real premium rare type of thing, yeah, like so, a, a, a bespoke computer that you buy. So yeah. So anyway, so there's the headset, mm-hmm. and then that connects to like a... Adita, I think you called it a disc man. I did. Uh, that you wear on your belt called the light pack. Uh, that thing is very mysterious. So all the photos are of people wearing the headset. All the descriptions of using it are of light field images that are indistinguishable from reality. 
And then there's like one line in, in the Rolling Stone piece where the CEO of the company is like, it's as powerful as an Alienware gaming yeah, yeah. PC. <laughs> well, and I, I just, there's not a world in which I want to put that much power at, on my waist. I'm fine with it. <laughs> Addy, maybe you, you can help describe this, but as far as I understand, there's two main things that the, the computing power of this has to do. It has to render whatever 3D graphics it's going to inject into this very mysterious light technology that they have that has sea monkeys in it, apparently. Oh, my God. <laughs> but it also has to do inside-out tracking, like, you know, to a slightly more advanced degree than, like, uh, ARKit does. Is that correct, Abby? So I have to hedge all of this a bunch because it's all secondhand. But there is a computer in the headset itself that it sounds like does basically the inside-out tracking. And then the computer on your waist has to analyze, I guess, any of the information it's taking in, connect to like the cloud database that will tell you how to annotate this plant you're looking at, um, and it will render all the stuff. So it seems like the headset senses the world, and then the computer produces everything else. And do, did you understand this description of how this because it's it's almost it's almost philosophical how they're talking about how they're making things render in your eyes it's yes a, it's a trick i am aware of their bullshit the only real world is in our minds yeah. we construct the problem it. is that everything that their ceo says could either be some kind of science fiction tech that we'll never understand or he could just literally be describing a computer it's like he like took a, when he took a pitchfork did its piece he was like well you'll be able to talk and opera music will come out yes you can you can do that <laughs> a lot of things already yeah i think that we're in this moment and this happens a lot this happened on a smaller scale with like the iphone 10 we're in a moment when the company gets to drive its entire narrative and then there's the moment when like now everyone has one and I can just confidently tell you face ID kind of sucks every morning because it doesn't look at my face right. Right. Like the reality of the thing is that it's just a bunch of like plastic and chips and you'll get it and it's going to work or not work. But they're in the moment where they can be like life field technology Hacks the GPU of the brain. I I am under the impression. So something that always bothered me in the Silicon Valley TV show is that something that's actually very rare in Silicon Valley is like a true technology breakthrough. I think the reason that Magic Leap, despite every appearance of a scam, has raised this many billions of dollars um, and is going to be just fine if they release something that's not at all for the market for years is that they have something that's truly very different. Wait, so, so this is the question, because Addy, you've been like covering them for a long time. And so the way that they start, the reason people are like, this is kind of scammy, is the core tech breakthrough, if they have one, and it seems like they have one, because lots of people have seen it, including people like I know, who we just can't write about because everyone has to sign an NDA, except for apparently Brian Crescente and Sigur Ross. <laughs> um, uh, uh, they've got this light field f display technology where you put the, the plastic chips in front of your eyes and then instead of projecting an image that reflects off the plastic into your eyes, which is the way everything else works, it sends light field information into your retina and presents true depth. Yeah. This is, this is fundamentally what we understand their technology to be. Everything else they say is insane, <laughs> right? It's what you make, what you put on that display actually has nothing to do with the breakthrough of the display. And I think they're very bad at figuring out and what to do all of their with patent it. applications, and Addy, you've covered these. This is a question. All of their patent applications have nothing to do, as near as we can tell, with like the display. It's more like if you add the word AR to any idea, like dinosaur AR, we have a patent. Addy, is that kind of your understanding? So I've read a bunch of these, and a bunch of them are actually about just how to create a waveguide, how to develop like depth. And then there are all the ones you're talking about, which are basically ridiculous. Like I have an alert, and I just got one this morning, and its title is Augmented Reality Display System for Evaluation and Modification of Neurological Conditions including visual processing and perception conditions. 
I've been reading it and I think the idea is that if you have some kind of neurological like blind spot or something, it'll have sensors that look into your eyes and detect that and then compensate for it. Well, that sounds so, yeah, cool. A bunch of really weird patents. Yeah, it's just like it has is, a bunch of things that sound neat. Like, w- w- what They're do you think sounds the neatest? I think stuff like this sounds interesting. Um, I think the idea that it has all of this biometric data, and then it's going to try to use that to basically make glasses that genuinely just sort of help you behind the scenes is really cool. The problem is that everything they talk about is so weird and lofty that they never are actually engaging in the conversations that they raise with like their patent applications. Well, I think it's, so I agree with you completely. I just, at this point, first of all, the thing, lo- it, obviously it, it is for developers and it looks very technical, right? Yeah. Like it's not a consumer product. It's, it looks crazy actually. And it's like, got lots of cameras and sensors across the front you know like so if that's your audience and or and it's people like us in in the in the tech press and our audience that cares about this stuff the first set of questions is actually really obvious what operating system does it run right like that's i would i would love to know the answer to that question did they write their own driving me crazy yeah right like did they write their own is it is it just android is it is it windows mobile like it could be anything is it just Windows? Because they, you know, they, they keep showing like web browsers. Yeah. Like, what? What makes that work? Like when they put out their SDK, like, do you have to learn a new programming language? Well, I think one nice thing is that so much of game development now is done in Unity and Unreal that it, they'll have to create a platform that is easy to target from Unity Unreal. But Unity Unreal tar- target the Switch, which runs f- FreeBSD. So probably anything that is. Linux-like, uh, yeah, but they're not is, just talking about games here. There is 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 basically good. Well, Unity Unreal is being sure. used for a bunch of stuff beyond games now. This is this is what I learned at the the iMac Pro briefing is like a bunch of medical software, a bunch of other VR applications, all the 3D modeling stuff, the architecture like thing, a bunch of stuff in VR and AR is getting driven by these games engines, and so they. Paul's right. They have to do something that supports these games engines because otherwise, you, that's like the, that's like the f- actual foundation of a bunch of stuff that involves three D right, rendering. But let me read this paragraph to you, and you you try to map this paragraph to the reality of having to make something. Okay. Here's this paragraph. Next, it's titled "Next Generation Interfaces" on the Magic Leap website. MagicLeap.com, in case you're curious. Uh, We live and think in a 3D world, not a flat screen. Our spatial interface includes multiple input modes, including voice, gesture, head pose, and eye tracking. This collective input system provides the tools needed to break free from outdated conventions of point-and-click interfaces, delivering a more natural and intuitive way to interact with technology. There's also a little controller. It looks, I don't know. It it, It looks like a Gear VR controller. It looks like a Gear VR controller, more or less. Yeah, that's what I was thinking of. Yeah, it's like, what does that mean? Whatever you want. <laughs> it means HoloLens. HoloLens has all those things. It <laughs> yeah. means you can talk to a thing. You can look at a thing. You can move your head, and it looks like you're moving it around it. He is just – that's the problem. Everything they describe, you can also apply to a bunch of other things, and their selling point is it's better, but they never actually show us any of that, so we can't tell. Yeah, that's what's so frustrating is, is what's, what's magic about Magic Leap is this vision technology, and – all the things that they seem to want to do are are somewhat unsolved problems in in UI design. Like we we haven't ever had a computer that we'd want to wear on our face that would beam light into our eyes all day, but we'd still be able to look through through the lens to the real world and and live like that. So nobody has has had to or managed to solve what UI is like and what sort of valid experiences are. But I I think you know Hololens demonstrated. One of my favorite things in this realm is one of the early demos of Hololens. Is there was like a, a kitchen and it had different app icons that were kind of distributed around the kitchen. And I really like this idea of going over to the wall next to the fridge where the Skype icon was. Because that's growing up, my phone was always next to the fridge. So I like this idea of being able to move around in the world to go to launch a quote unquote app. I think that's really interesting. And there's going to be tons of interesting experiments like that. Well, yeah, that's actually. Like, mag- Sorry, go ahead. Finish, Paul. I just feel like Magic Leap is trying to sell itself as the company that will deliver us all the 
implications of the technology it's developed. Right. And what we are just the, want to see the technology. Yeah, one of the their big points from the the Rolling Stone thing is that they they they're virtual objects persist in time and space. So if you set up a bunch of screens and then go to bed and then wake up the next morning, the screens are supposed to still be there. Again, like Addy's been saying, that's that's nothing that nobody else hasn't thought of or is trying to do, but they're trying to say that their, their implementation of all of these things is somehow better. Uh, and they're also, they're, they're better at the lofty talk. And so a bunch of stuff that everybody else has been sort of talking about and showing little hacky demos of and blah, 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 Magic Leap, instead of actually showing the things, has been giving behind closed doors NDA previews and using super flowery language and, I don't know, like reading up on their cont and the way way that, (laughs) and like that's how they talk. Well, I just, I mean, it's very exciting. I love a new company. I love crazy people. I, I love it all. That's why that's why we're in the business, right? But this to me, it's just you know who else is working on AR? Apple and Google and Microsoft. Facebook. Fa- fa- Facebook. Well, let's leave Facebook aside, right? Because Facebook doesn't have like app developers. Apple, Google, and Microsoft have this like army of app developers who have a business relationship with the company who understand how to make money. Apple has stores. All the stuff you need to get the light field chip in front of your eye, they haven't shown that. Like, where are they going to sell it? Are they just going to ship boxes out of their factory? Like, uh, oh, no, the, there's a there's a Q and A they um, they put out today on like ten things, ten more things you didn't know, and one of them is we're not going to. This requires a special retail experience, and uh, that is what the term magic leap. Your first use is going to involve a magic leap. And so I just bet Addy a hundred bucks that it's going to be like the cli- like jump over a cliff demo. You'll put them on in the store. You did. I did. You didn't accept it, but I tried to get you to, okay. to take it. You'll put them on the store, and then you're like you'll see a cliff, and then you're supposed to step over the cliff. I bet you that's what they do. Yeah, I wouldn't take that bet. I think you're right. Yeah, that's that's. What I my think the on. only only valuable thing from the, the don't even go to the website. Just read the Rolling Stone article. It has not nearly as many details as I wish it had, but it is a another actual user experience from a, a relatively objective source, someone describing what it felt like, what it looked like. He he mentioned that it had a much better field of view than HoloLens, mm-hmm. which everybody who's tried HoloLens knows how limiting that feels, but, he, but also said it wasn't a perfect field of view. He said he is still unclear about how depth works, whether it's actually working with being able to focus on Using your eyes, actual ability to focus um, near and far. I don't know. Did you did you figure that weird statement out, Addy, <laughs> that they had? He like he, Brian asked them. He like realized he he didn't know for sure what it was doing as far as depth. So he asked them, and they gave him this weird, vague statement that made it kind of sound like it was real depth. Like, but I, I don't know, because I think that's a very important thing. I mean, their Magic Leap is criticizing the age-old stereoscopic version of of 3D, which right. is it's two two flat planes that fool you into seeing 3D. But you realize as soon as you try to refocus your eyes on something, it kind of breaks that, and it can also be disorienting. And I think that's probably one of the reasons why this looks and feels so good. Is that it, it? It feels a lot more like looking at real three D objects in space. Yeah, that's what they've promised, and if that works, that's going to be really cool. Right. And I think the problem is we invented a great display technology, and we invented a great product, and we invented a real company. Are all very different projects, mm. right? And all they they keep trying to distract from the reality of the technology that they've invented, which is a very expensive. Right, hard to manufacture, but sounds like a complete breakthrough in vision. Right, but to play devil's advocate, they do keep hiring people who are genuinely talented. Like they just pulled uh, John Gata away from ILMX Lab. Oh wow, oh, that's it right. Is I forgot about that. Theoretically possible, yeah. they are building like a super group, and that they're just getting a bunch of money from Google. They quietly steal everybody from all these other companies, and they build this great powerhouse trifecta of hardware entertainment software yeah that is going to be really hard if that's what they're doing and they're still pretty far away from you know the mass market product that 
makes that valuable, right? Like, and there's also a huge like barrier there, which is the creepiness factor. What's creepy? Um, the creepiness factor being stuff like Google Glass, the idea that when you cover your eyes in public, people find it really unsettling. People don't know what, like, if you're doing something that they've seen in a million augmented reality movies where AR glasses are generally incredibly scary. Like, they've created something that looks really awkward to wear and can do really cool entertainment things. I don't think they've passed that barrier after which you're comfortable wearing something in public. And that's on top of the yeah. other thing where they they map your entire room in 3D space, whatever room you're in, so that it can have those persistent objects. And then I, my understanding is like that map gets stored in the cloud, and that's like one of the roots of the privacy issue that Addy's been asking about. Yes, they will also analyze everything all the time. Right. They need a map of your house because they need to know where you are in the house to like... Well, now I'm just terrified. The patents also talk a lot about object recognition. So it's not just like, oh, you have a shelf there. It's that, oh, your house has like five paintings from these artists and it has these cups from this company. Wait, 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 wait. Is this all just like an elaborate Ocean's Eleven plot to steal five <laughs> paintings? <laughs> I, I, I just remembered like the craziest demo in, in Brian's account was... The, there was like an avatar, like a 3D avatar floating in space. And then the guy who's giving the the demo sort of walked into it and merged. And he became enveloped in the 3D avatar. And then he stole five paintings. <laughs> <Then> he stole. <laughs> uh, no, you could, you, you could erase somebody in vision. Yeah, that's the that's yeah. the the reason that I'm like willing to believe that this is some kind of breakthrough display technology is that when someone walked into the hologram the thing Crescente said that his eye saw the hologram as more real than the person who just disappeared into it to be fair I feel like HoloLens can do that to some extent mm. like yep. you can put something on top of an object and like with HoloLens and you'll see the hologram but can it track like a, a body and and put an avatar on top of that body because that's I mean I hate to go back to the well that I've gone to so many times do it Rainbow's End Vernavinge Vernavinge Read the book. <laughs> you need to know what's happening to you. <laughs> Wake up, sheeple. Um, uh, Addy, here's uh, my question for you. What are the things you need to know the most? And what are the things where you're like, this is the most exciting? What, what are the things that make you the most excited? And what are the things that make, make you the most skeptical? The thing that makes me most excited is genuinely just this display technology. The idea of something that doesn't feel limited, that looks realistic, that has depth, that is complex like that's incredibly exciting to me i would need to know firsthand whether this actually is comfortable and whether the field of view is actually good i think a lot of ar companies that i've seen really neglect industrial design and make something that like fits one head shape and is miserable for everyone else and you can't even see the hologram um there's that i would i guess technically need to know the specs although really I just need to know whether it's powerful enough that the things that you'd want to do there don't stutter. Um, and otherwise, I don't know. I don't care that much about price because it's so far in the future. Um, I also want to hear about hand tracking because that controller kind of looks like it sucks. Yeah, it and really does. mentioned hand tracking a bunch and I want to know how complex that is. Here, my biggest question, the more I think about it and the more I look at this photo, is the light pack. What's in there? The disc man. What, what's in there? Is it battery powered? It actually has two parts, and most of the photos hide the other part. There's a big rectangle and then a circle, and the big rectangle is supposed to like go into your pocket, and the circle sticks out in front. Is the battery in the the rectangular part? Is all the processing in the circle? What happens when the battery dies? What happens when the battery gets a little bit old? <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> like. I mean, I want to know whether I can clip that on, I don't know, my boot or my neck or something if I'm wearing a dress. Which right. is one of the things that actually worries me about Magic Leap is that they had a literal lawsuit that's like, this company cannot design for women at all. Wait, what? They have a design-based lawsuit? No, there was that uh, sexual harassment right, suit. They have that. And one of the things that it alleged in terms of creating the hostile work environment was that they hired these people and they had female employees and they would hold focus groups and they would come up with ideas and then Magic Leap would completely ignore them. 
that they had this belt pack that was really difficult to put on if you weren't wearing like traditional jeans, um, that their only idea for making something fit women like was making it pink, that they didn't listen to criticism about how it was hard to wear if you had a ponytail or hairstyles, like just all of these little design things that I really hope that they're actually making work because I literally can't wear a bunch of AR headsets because they're made for men and they just fall off my face. I saw something about this pack that it was something to do with a, a guitar strap. I think this is in the Crescenti piece. Yeah, I read but I don't, strap, What does that I'm mean? I'm hoping that that works. Yeah. Like I said, the pack is really the... Yeah. So, like, there's all the... I, I just keep coming back to this fundamental idea. There's the dream that they have and that they're trying to sell. And then there's, like, the messy physical reality of our bodies and, like, our bodies in space. And those things are really like they're very difficult to bring together in a way that makes any sense and paul when you're like that world in which you walk up to the fridge and like hit the skype icon yeah like a really good solution to that is to actually remove your brain from your body put it into a vat and then construct a virtual reality uh in which your brain believes it lives like yeah it's the philosophical endpoint of this whole thing. I am under the impression that that was Magic Leap. Magic Leap's first idea was to tap straight into your visual cortex. And they couldn't quite figure that out. So they're settling for beaming, or, or not, I don't know how light field works, but sea monkeys <laughs> somehow interacting with light and you see things and they look real to you. Yeah. But, but obviously the, the, the next step is to tap directly into the visual cortex. And then once we have a high bandwidth commu bidirectional communication with our brain and a computer, the, the brain in a vat is, just, is the next step. Can't wait. So we're brain totally, yeah, we're, we're totally on touch. the way. Touch is a thing that's really important and we can't do it. Wait, touch, so and it, touch and what? The brain in the vet, you can't, you can't touch things, you can't feel things, and it's like tasting things kind of sucks. Like artificial sense and taste, they're miserable. Yeah. I'm just saying. And haptics are still really primitive. Just like touch is important. But if you, if you could tap directly into the visual cortex, couldn't you tap directly into the nerve endings that would and therefore simulate touch as well? That's like an insanely complex neurological discussion about embodiment and whether we actually have like a center in our brain that handles that or whether our physical parts are inextricable from the way that we feel and whether like all of the nerves in our body actually produce something that you couldn't handle and re replicate just by tapping into something. People uh, have I think written it's... a lot about this and it's very complicated. Oh man, I'm very much under the impression it's in the brain. Because you you get the you know phantom limbs, what's it called? Yeah, and that's a whole thing. All I'm, what I'd like to in the brain. what I'd like to circle back to is that the way Magic Leap talks about itself mm. leads us down the hole of wondering whether our nervous system is important or whether we can take our brains out of our skulls and put them in vats. Where did you want to go? Because where did you want to go? <laughs> know, oh, right? what's the skew? <laughs> oh, how much does it cost? <laughs> I mean, I understand it's the Virgin. <laughs> I understand what we're here to do. I'm just saying there are these like other fundamental questions, and like Magic Leap is like, here's a circle, and we're like, what if we took our brains out of our skulls? Okay, I want to see the UI. That's actually the thing I didn't mention. That's yeah. basically central to me. I want to see how you interact with it. Yeah, I think all of that stuff. I, if you're listening to the show, you you know how it goes, right? Like, is it laggy? Does it get laggier over time? How much bandwidth does it need to pull all of this stuff off? Like, there are these fundamental questions that are just reflections of actual reality that they have not begun to address. Well, one interesting thing about augmented reality is that you don't have, unlike VR, where you have to render an entire world, you can get away, you can create very valuable applications that render something very minimal. Like, one, uh, I, I have a dream that high school students had have so many tools to cheat at math. And so you just wear your AR goggles and the math solves itself right in front of you and you just write it, you know, you just take notes. But that's like very minimal rendering, you know. There's some a, a little bit of machine vision to like for recognizing handwriting and stuff like that. But like I mean that's that's relatively minimal, but that's enabled by having something that's just overlaid across your regular senses instead of having to render all of, you know, Wolfenstein. Yeah. Okay. We we have to stop talking about this. No. 
I'm going to read this ad, and then we should. I tried to segue into yeah, the Apple battery try. thing, but we'll come back and talk about that. So, Addy, we're going to let you go. Thank you so much for joining us and talking about whatever it is we just talked about with Magic Leap. <laughs> uh, thanks for joining us. Always happy. This episode of the Vergecast brought to you by The Art of Shaving. The holidays that are coming up, and you don't know what that means. It's parties, it's presents, it's ugly sweaters. Art of Shaving can't help with ugly sweaters, but they can help you impress everyone on your holiday gift list. This year, take gifting to the nines with 12 shaving creams of Christmas, all formulated with essential oils and botanical ingredients. Just say oodsweet like a bunch <laughs> of times. Yeah, look, we read The Art of Shaving ad all the time. You know the People love oodsweet. Go... You know, when you're at the office, you got Secret Santa, Ood Suede. When your favorite uncle needs a gift, Ood Suede. <laughs> For your little brother, Ood Suede. For yourself, Ood Suede. All right. <laughs> For your dad, Ood Suede. No, Vetiver Citron. Oh, sorry. <laughs> so that I really was not tracking where that was going. <laughs> So all I'm saying is the art of shaving. Thank you for continuing to sponsor the Vergecast. Thank you for naming one of your products Ood Suede. Mm-hmm. If you're listening to this, you need some gifts to give. I think it should be Ood Suede. I think everyone else agrees. So get a head start in the holidays now. Listeners, you get 15% off your first order and free shipping when you use promo code Verge to get the offer. Visit artofshaving.com. Use that promo code Verge. You get 15% off your first order of Ood Suede. And Ood Suede comes to you with free shipping. Or if there's retail locations, you can get a consultation from Art of Shaving's own master barbers. They can tell you if Ood Suede is right for you. That has been the Art of Shaving advertisement for this episode of The Vergecast. Paul, let's talk about this battery. This arguably was the biggest news of the week. Certainly the most controversial. Can I say my first thought when I heard this? I was like, oh, that's smart. Yeah, it is clever. Okay, so How clever of them. Let's walk through. Yeah, we actually got to tell people what we're talking about. They all know, first. but we'll walk through it anyway. Four years. We know starting with the six, success, that kind of stuff. Yeah, but, but legitimately four I years. I guess that does make four years. A conspiracy theory has loomed okay. in the world mm-hmm. that Apple artificially slows down your iPhone so that you will buy a new iPhone. Right. Every, like people, you can't make them not believe this. And like Rubes, we thought it happened when they pushed a new software update. Right. We were like, yes, yeah, so the new version of the OS comes out. It's a little bit heavier. Your phone stuff is bad. The people at Geekbench, another developer, they did a bunch of tests and they found that iPhone 6S and 7, the peaks of performance that they were measuring when people ran Geekbench were split. There's the highest performance, and then there's other little peaks of performance down the line. And they were like, Apple's actually slowing down these phones. So conspiracy theory, full overdrive. Apple came out. They issued statements to us, to TechCrunch. Yes, we are doing this, which was right. And then there's like this enormously important caveat, Mm -hmm. which is the iPhone 6S in particular had an issue where – the current draw off an older battery would be such that the phone would just immediately shut down. Hmm. So we had to smooth out the instantaneous peaks of performance, and they did it by varying the performance of the phone, of the processor. So the, the battery is old. It cannot deliver the full current needed to power the processor. It's full capability. Apple did this by ramping the processor down and, like, rethinking how it works. So the battery would be smoothed out. Your phone doesn't shut down. Like Paul said, that is very smart. Mm-hmm. That is, yeah, that super is clever smart. as hell. Let's, Apple gets full credit for like thinking it through and making the phone last longer on a, on a, on a degraded battery. Right. What they did yep. not do was tell anybody, tell anyone tell anyone about anybody. It. <laughs> <laughs> And like, so if you live in a world where there are this conspiracy theory – that your phone is slowing down every, you know, after a year or two so that Apple will force you to buy a new phone. And then people are out there doing these measurements and like, hey, these phones are slowing down after a year or two. And you've provided no information. All you've done is reinforce the conspiracy theory. And this, this other thing that you're doing, which is trying to maximize the life of a battery or maximize their intentions, I think, are good. 
but the they're they're if they hadn't gotten caught, they would have never told anybody. Uh, Dieter, what do you think about that? I think that's exactly right. Um, I mean, my very first hot take was like, this is good. Apple should, like, it's smart for an operating system to see that older batteries have different performance and for the operating system to be aware of that performance and to, like, change to adjust for it. Um, but, yeah, just stupid to not say something to the users uh, in some way, either, like, via a press release or just, like, a, another pop-up on iOS 11, because it's not like iOS 11 has a shortage of those, right? <laughs> no, so I think Matthew um, Panzerino at TechCrunch, who's been doing a lot of good reporting on this, he like tweeted like a mock-up that he made, some like long dialogue yeah. box. I think that is not the right move, because people see weird boxes pop up on their phone, they hit OK, they learn nothing, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> that's, uh, you'd have to pop up that box like literally every morning, like, hey, your battery got a little crappier today, just letting you know. Like, yep. you, so you have to hammer that message in. I think they need... I mean, Android does a reasonably good job of this. Like, um, they need to tell the settings screen needs to tell you the health of the battery, the maximum performance yeah. of your phone on battery power as related to the health of the battery. Like, they what apps are using lots of your battery? Like, charge cycles, all this stuff, all the technical stuff that well, Apple wants to hide from you is actually the stuff that lets people expl- understand what's going on. Well, Ashley did that that uh, piece for Circuit Breaker on you know. Sh- should you uh, let your phone charge all the way up? Should mm-hmm. you let your phone charge all the way down? And it's something that we don't really know a lot about. She went to the experts and got some slightly conflicting, but you know, consistent, uh, if you parse it, <laughs> opinions. <laughs> but what she couldn't get was a really strong official statement from Apple of how you're actually supposed to treat your battery. Yeah. And I think because they have no. multiple suppliers, they have multiple like there are multiple models of phones. Sure, I think Jake made the best point is that so I have an iPhone seven. The battery is, I would say, half of what it was when I bought the phone, and um, and it's been about a year, and that's too soon. Yeah, it's too soon. That was Jake's point. And so. His, his Especially, story. and he also mentions, you know, there are a lot of barriers. You know, you can't live without your phone, basically. And so, to get your phone replaced, you go to Apple Store if you're yeah. that lucky, um, or you lose your phone for days, or you go to the shady guy down the street that does it. I went to a shady guy downstairs in our building. That was a huge mistake. They're like mess giant mistake. Like, Not only did it ruin your phone, but also uh, someone's been recording your every move ever since well, gotta, because he put a spy chip in your phone at the same time. <laughs> <put a battery. laughs> Damn it! Well, good news for me, that battery was a piece of shit. So that's oh, you got a bad battery. Didn't work very well. My, and, but like, so this is go ahead. This is my thing. Is this gets into like the iFixit realm, right? Like, should these phones be a little bit more repairable? Should uh, replacing if if the battery degrades that much after a year and a half, two years, should it be part of Apple Care? Should normal use be covered under Apple Care? It costs eighty bucks to get your battery replaced. Should we just be changing our norms and telling people, don't go get a new iPhone, go in and get your battery replaced much more often? There should be a more general awareness right. of your battery's performance over time, and there should be a better system for replacing the battery. In current gadgets. And the reason I say this gets into iFixit territory is we've moved very far away from that world. And there, it's very hard, especially for end users, to do something about battery problems anymore. Because all that shit is just sealed up super tight. The Surface Laptop is a very good example of this. You, It's impossible for the end user to do anything with that thing. And it's suddenly like everyone's like, just make the phone thicker, just make the battery bigger, you know, blah, 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 blah. And you know what? Screw it. Give me removable batteries again. Yeah. I I forgot how much I enjoyed and how superior I used to feel at CES when everyone else was running around with iPhones and they had crazy battery packs and USB cables hanging out of their pocket and blah, 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 blah. And I was just using me a Galaxy S5 or whatever it was, or back in the day, like a Moto Q9. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I would just have another battery or two, very slim, no problem, in my back, literally my back pocket, and metaphorically in my back pocket. And yeah. I would just swap the battery out, reboot the phone, and I would have a fresh battery, and I wouldn't have to be carrying around eight honking things. If there was a version of a phone that was a little bit less like elegant in its design, but it had a removable battery, um, but was still good... <laughs> 
I would probably buy that phone. Or or um, design the, the current The last phone. one we had was the... Yeah. The last one we had was an LG G... I think it was the G5 had that modular yeah. thing and you could pull the battery out and that was terrible because it was an LG phone. Um, but that... I would, I would do that. If I could buy the same iPhone but it like was like a little bit jankier looking or the same pixel or the same galaxy phone and but it was just a little bit jankier looking but it i could just swap the battery and buy a spare battery and recycle the one when it started to run out of juice i would do that i would be very happy with right. that i was what I, I i would love to go back what to i was that. saying is or design the phone to accept an external battery better right i like the iPhone 10. Motorola does that. The iPhone 10 has actually two batteries inside of it. Like it's beyond the realm of like, I'm just going to swap a battery. Like the way it's designed, there are two independent battery cells in here. And Apple's like managing that. Like there are benefits to sealing the batteries in because you can, you can just do different do things stuff. with them. You can design the phone around however you want the batteries to work. But you could also just make it so that external batteries communicate better with this phone that it fits into a battery case better. Are you saying we need a standard? A W1 chip, a proprietary standard that Apple can create? <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. The, the B1 chip is the here. The B1. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, like, there, there are solutions to this problem. Like, right. Apple designs its phone so that to it's, be... It's not just like plugging in... Uh, uh, in it's, it's not indistinguishable from plugging into a wall when you plug into an external battery. Right. right. So it, it knows that so that the physical design of the thing is designed to like fit into a case. Like Apple's own battery case yeah. for the 7 was like tremendously ugly because the 7 itself was not designed. If, to, to make this real, like. Do we know if the iPad, mods no, but, like, intelligent? The iPad Pro is designed to work with keyboard accessories. So they're like pretty elegant right. keyboard accessories, regardless of how the actual keyboard feels. Mm -hmm. Like it has a connector, it's aware, like it all works together. The surfaces are designed to work with keyboards. It has a connector. It all works together. You're just describing Moto Mods. How many times can I say Moto Mods before you acknowledge that this thing exists in the world? But Moto Mods are like a, a they're a full on accessory. They're not like narrowly designed to just do batteries. That's all Apple needs to do, okay. right? They don't need a full on sure. modular interface and serial but like they just need to send some power and data back and forth, right? Um, but I, it's a weird moment, like. I tweeted yesterday, uh, I can't wait for everyone's AirPods to just die. And then, like, yeah. millions of AirPods to be in a landfill. Like, the reality of us wanting to be wireless and the industry pushing us towards wireless and the battery technology that enables that are very different realities. And batteries are just a hard limit on everything we can do, and they don't last very long. Mm -hmm. A year and a half. Mm -hmm. And, like, what are we going to do? two years from now when all of our Bluetooth headphones kind of don't work anymore? Are we going to demand repairable Air AirPods? Like, uh, what? The yeah, Dieter. <laughs> what? It's just like, <laughs> I mean, we have to decide. Sure. Like, it's is, is like, we're the market force, right? We have to decide if that's okay. It seems like we're all going to decide it's okay, but there's a clear outcome where the AirPod recycling program needs to exist or whatever, or we're just going to throw more shit away. Mm-hmm. And we're going to end up spending more money, right? Like, I have headphones that I've had for 15 years. They're fine. They sound really good. Yeah. But, like, my AirPods are going to last two. If you're lucky. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it's all about. I don't know. Do you have any other thoughts on this? No. Uh, just, like, a bunch of this stuff is um, It's going to take, I think, more uh, consumer demand for any of this stuff to change. Otherwise we just, we just sound like, I don't know, Stallman esque. like when, when Richard Stallman, you know, freaks out about like, he only uses uh, software that's open source and screw everything else. And everybody thinks he sounds like a crazy person. I worry that when we talk about repairability and like replaceable batteries and all that stuff, we end up sounding like crazy people because at the same time we're saying, wouldn't it be nice if we're going out and buying another iPhone with like, you know, a battery that lasts two years, we're going out and buying AirPods again that with a battery that only lasts two years. And we keep talking about Apple products, but this applies to literally everything else. And Apple is actually theoretically in a better place morally on this stuff and works harder to create programs to recycle its stuff than other companies because they make so much of them. They've got, you know, they've got the crazy robot that takes phones apart and like they have you know, one of those robots. Parts. It is unclear whether that robot well, is, does anything else. They have committed themselves to the goal of of 
basically being zero impact and like they will they want to make future iPhones a hundred percent off of the parts and the you know precious metals and rare metals off of old iPhones. That's that's their goal. They've committed themselves to doing it. Who knows if they'll get there, but they're at least further along in acknowledging this is a thing to address than other companies. But that's the left hand. The right hand is designing iPhones that uh, exacerbate the problem. Yeah. Right. And I do think Apple's farther. Like, if you buy a really cheap mid-range random no-name Android phone, your battery degrades and the phone turns into a piece of garbage and then just starts shutting off. Like, the work of let's balance out processor usage against battery power has not been done for you. So, again, Apple gets a lot of credit for doing that work on the technical side. I think they had a, they created a PR disaster for themselves by not being way more upfront about it in the software, by not communicating to actual users. Like, apparently, you know, they're like, other journalists are like, you know, Apple said this. We had some briefings about how they were fixing the power problem. It's like, yeah, that's not, they sell a billion of these devices, right? Like, you, you have to tell all of those people in every language they speak, not just some journalists. But at the same time, Apple does make the most phones, right? Like they bear this dis, and they're and they're they're the ones pushing towards this wireless future faster than anybody else. So they they bear some of this responsibility because these are problems that they have themselves created because of their their vision of how the technology should work. They should have just told people. Yeah, this is just told. Yeah, like in a in a perfect world, what they would have done is they would have like held a special environmental day, and maybe even a press conference, or maybe like you know a little event, or like had to be a portion of some event, and be like, you know what? We're not going to talk about a product for a half an hour. We're going to talk about batteries and recyclability and the problems there. And you know that we've done these things. We're going to do some more of these things. Um, here's what we're going to do to help make people be able to get batter new batteries in their phones so their phones last longer. And here's how our recycling programs work. And oh, by the way, you should know that uh, when your battery degrades, uh, it will slow down a little bit in these certain situations. Right. And we're doing that to extend the longevity of your phone. If they had done literally any kind of rollout from just like, hey, by the way, something more than just telling a couple of journalists in a random press briefing, anything more than that, all the way up to like a single bespoke event for this thing, they would have picked up just, they would have started a conversation. People would have thanked them. People would have been happy that they've done this. They would have explained away the conspiracy theory and um, yeah, I mean, the, they would have the, come the out fan looking army, great. Instead, they've come out looking awful. Yeah, the, the fan army goes to bat for them over and over and over again, right? Apple actually prolongs the yep. life of your phone. Um, it is very clever. It's a very cl- it is like a very clever solution. Ingenious. I, I don't want to I don't want to distract from like the core thing that's happening. It's just all this it's the the media criticism that you do around it that's interesting. The thing yeah. they're doing is actually quite f- it's fine cuz you your phone lasts longer. But that actually brings me back to this year and a half idea like Every year, I actually asked them during the iPhone 10 review. Every year, they're like, the phone is faster than ever, right? Like, this phone is faster than any laptop you can buy. <laughs> it's this thing that they say. But that headroom doesn't get you anything, right? If two year old phones feel slow, like, what does it matter that it was the fastest phone ever when it came out? And like, this battery right. issue is a clearly tied to it. I will say, in my personal experience, my iPhone 7 does not feels slow and the, the battery is definitely degraded but the things that i attempted i mean i don't do like crazy 3d gaming because yeah. i don't want 30 minutes of battery life i need my phone to last all day but I, it doesn't feel like super sluggish to me yeah well you know what's interesting is they didn't have to do this with macs like my mac i have a 2013 macbook pro and the battery doesn't last very long mm. but like it doesn't sl- it do- you know like i it does at the very end of its life get slower mm-hmm. but like in extremely obvious ways and it's right. obvious that it's, there's a battery indicator that like right. that relationship is very clear but it, they didn't have a problem where it's like it just starts shutting off halfway through because it can't handle the current draw of the processor yeah. like this is an interrelated set of problems that i think they need to communicate about better yeah okay we're gonna read one more ad we're gonna come back and we, we got to talk about google and amazon and microsoft all trolling each other this week because that was pretty good and we got to talk about some smart speakers we might yeah. ramble about Cavo. We don't gotta. I don't know. I'll read this ad. We'll come right back. This episode of Vergecast is brought to you by Eight Sleep. Eight is smart. 
It's the iPhone compared to the flip phone. Unlike its foam mattress counterparts, the 8 Sleep Mattress is an innovative bed that uses real technology to help people sleep better and live healthier. By sleeping at 8, you can discover how many hours of sleep you need each night to feel energized. You can optimize your day and night by connecting it to other Wi-Fi-enabled products in your home. If you need coffee in the morning to function, well, now you can program your smart mattress to start brewing your coffee the minute you get out of bed. The 8 Smart Mattress has everything you need to meet your individual needs. Visit 8sleep.com slash verge and use code verge to get $125 off all mattresses plus free shipping and free returns. That's 8 E-I-G-H-T sleep.com slash verge with the offer code of verge to redeem your special offer. Paul. Uh-huh. Every week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You do a segment. It's got the same name. Uh-huh. And never forget it. It's called Robots Teach Me How to Breathe. <laughs> okay. Uh, so there's this, it's called Somnox. It's a $500 Sleep robot breathing pillow. It's called the world's first sleep robot. Here, let me just read you some from from uh, Alessandra's wonderful post about this. The robot has soft actuators that inflate and deflate, essentially mimicking breathing. <laughs> Why? <laughs> he just how to breathe somehow. I don't understand it at all. No, it's comforting. Like, I don't know. Do you, do you ever spoon like to feel something breathing that you're spooning is like a comforting thing. And like your, your, your breath, it relaxes you. If you're up at night, you can't sleep. You can't, your mind is going a mile a minute. And then you've just got this thing that you can kind of cuddle and you can focus on. It's like in and out breathing and without you, you don't even have to focus on it. It's just your, your breathing will naturally match the in and out pattern of this thing. And then you calm down. And you go to sleep. Hug- it's nice hugging this. If you don't, you, instead of spooning a you know a human, you can spoon a robot. Hugging the sleep robot while trying to fall asleep, my hand on its belly so I could feel it inflate and deflate, definitely focused my attention on breathing. The robots, if not my own. So, my, Dita, I, I see what you're saying. Here's my fear. I've always wanted a robot as a friend. Like since I was a child, like something that was very important to me is that I would have a robot be a friend, right? Yeah. Do not want a robot as an intimate lover. And I feel like this is on a slippery slope. Because <laughs> <laughs> you spoon your intimate lover, you do not spoon a friend. I feel like some people spoon yeah. friends. Well, I'm, okay. A, 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 lar- a large... We're not, we're not talking about cuddle parties. We are not talking about cuddle very, parties on the Verge very cast. Many wrote, people, well, we just did. Very many people Damn never it. spoon a friend. I'll say that. That's true. Okay, fair. <laughs> <laughs> All right, this segment is over. <laughs> That's, and that is the end of that line of thinking <laughs> for today. Uh, Dieter, do you want to talk about what's going on with Chrome in the Windows Store? Because it, oh I, just, I just LOL'd a bunch. It's very good. Yeah, that's basically where I was at. So the backstory is Windows 10S doesn't run full, um, like, you know, classic x86 Windows apps. It runs, it does, but they've got to be designed for the Windows Store. And the other thing is, like um, iOS, hell, like Chrome OS, uh, you can't, well, Chrome OS, you can run Android apps. Anyway, you can't run other browsing engines on Windows 10S. And so uh, you, and the only way to get apps on Windows 10S is to go into the Windows App Store. And Microsoft is trying to make a big push to get everybody to get all their apps through the Windows App Store. One, because it'll help Windows 10S. And two, you know, then they'll have an app store. Uh, and that's important for everybody because that seeds, that takes control away from the web, uh, which everybody wants to do. And so <laughs> Google, recognizing that this was a push and uh, just decided to troll the hell out of Microsoft and put Chrome in the Windows App Store. Uh, But all it is is a link to go download it uh, via the normal method of, you know, typing Chrome into the Google Google (laughs) and then finding the Chrome website and downloading it. And so Microsoft, this happened, and everyone's like, okay. And, you know, maybe it makes it more discoverable. People look for apps and app stores, and so it makes sense to put your app in an app store, even though your app is not in the app store or whatever. Microsoft just yanked it. They're like, nope, you, nope, it's out. And, uh, yeah, that's that's the state of that. Just just great. Yeah. Um, meanwhile, you may recall Google um, 
is blocking YouTube on the Amazon Echo via several methods, the end of which was blocking the Amazon Echo basically web browser from accessing YouTube on the web, um, which is terrible. Um, and it's also co- going to block it on the Fire TV. And then uh, Amazon started selling Chromecast again, so maybe they're going to make nice before this deadline of January 1st when they're going to yank YouTube off the Fire TV. And, and Firefox, uh, some you know engineer at, uh, at Mozilla was like, huh, Fire TV... Firefox, spent a weekend, ported Firefox over to the Fire TV, put it on the Fire TV, so you now can use the Firefox web browser on the Fire TV. And the very first thing in the description of Firefox on Fire TV is, you can use this to access YouTube. <laughs> so would I you say, it. and so now, you say the, open, the move open is, web if Google wins blocks again? this, if Google blocks this, then Google is officially 100% Hostile to the web. Mm. Screw that. Yeah. Uh, if they don't, then fine. Whatever. Are you going to switch to? Um, they're not great for the web right now. Duck, anyway, go if they block it. I don't think Google blocks <sighs> this. First of all, they secretly love Firefox, right? Like it's not a secret, right? They they love Firefox in the way that Bill Gates loved the Mac yep. when uh, <laughs> Apple was about to go <laughs> under. They need Firefox there so that they can be like, no, it's not just Google that does stuff. They're, they're, look, we're there's another web browser. See. <laughs> Just anyway. one more. Uh, so, yeah. and, but they also like pay Mo- the Mozilla Foundation a lot of money because Firefox defaults to Google. So it's like a whole thing. So fi- yeah. they've got it. They're fine. They're not going to. But also, what they want to do is make it harder for Amazon to access YouTube and to keep YouTube from being a selling point of the Amazon devices. If I don't think they give a shit about the one person who's like, I'm going to put Firefox on my TV streaming stick. Yeah. Right, like that's. I think that's yeah. fine because you can't really control Firefox with Alexa, probably. Probably not. No. Well, you can like voice unless you get a Cabo. Like, why Alexa? Why O U T? Wait, no, but that wouldn't be hard for Alexa if Alexa just de- if you said, "I want to watch this on YouTube." Alexa would just search YouTube for that, and then on Firefox, just load up a page of YouTube search results. Yeah. This is great. Uh, what it's, if, it's all crazy. What like, if this is what makes the open web win, Dieter? What if <laughs> what if these co- what if these companies trying to kill the open web is what made it live? That's not how it works. It's or it's going to. It's work. like when it's just Harry dead. Potter's trying to kill the basilisk. Well, everyone blocks one another, and they realize the only answer is open web browsers. In his in his moment of greatest need, he pulls the sword out of the hat. Can I? say my favorite silly web browser story this week, which is Cavo. So I oh, wrote yeah. about the Cavo, the, the the new universal remote that like watches your TV. So they came, they showed it to me. You plug all the boxes into this huge Cavo box. The Cavo box is hacks on hacks on hacks. It's $400. It's super expensive for a universal remote. But the thing it does is like fascinating, which is it literally operates your devices for you because it, it watches the screen. So, like, you plug your Apple TV into it, and you can watch it, like, clicking around, picking your Netflix profile for you, opening the search box, typing into the search feed. It's just, like, it's just using it for you. It's cool. The other thing it does is it has a virtual web browser that it, it just, like, puts in space. You can't see it, but it's, it, it just opens a web browser window, and it will, like, open Hulu, log into Hulu for you, check out your watch list on Hulu, scrape all the playback states off of the Hulu watch list all on the web in the background. If you open a cable app on your Apple TV, if you're like, watch this on HBO Go, and you haven't logged into HBO Go on your Apple TV, and it pops up that screen, it's like, put this code in the web. Mm. It'll open the web browser. You will never see it. It'll open a web browser virtually, read the screen, go to hbogo.com slash activate or whatever the hell it is, Type in your – it has your password. You give it your cable username and password. It will log in, read the Apple TV screen to get the activation code, type it into the web browser oh for you, and then activate the HBO <laughs> Go app. This is like having a nerdy son. Yeah, it's like you have a little robot yeah, butler. This is your, like using your, this is your child who's grown up smart enough to program your VCR for you. Yeah, only it's a $400 yeah. universal remote. I think it's the coolest. Uh, it doesn't have HDR, yeah. and like they know that most people won't buy it. They're only trying to sell five thousand. But like, 
How I just want to point out that Neil went through this incredible description of like 15 different hacks of the Cabo. So many hacks. Has not mentioned IR blasters it has- because it pains him so deeply that it has IR blasters. I'm having like a a moral dilemma with this IR blaster. Because the IR blaster in the Cabo is not the problem. Like it's just a control. It's just an input method. Because it can read the yeah. screen, it's, it's, it doesn't matter. Because you don't have to deal with it. Oh, so this is a good IR blaster. Your problem with IR blasters isn't IR. It's that the IR isn't aware of the state of the thing that it's controlling, and therefore it often fails. Yes. But the Cavo is aware of the state of the thing that it's controlling. Therefore, in, in certain situations, you are pro-IR blaster. Yeah, if the Cavo, if its, if its solution was like a little robot that sat on top of the Apple TV remote and like pushed the buttons, it doesn't matter because <laughs> you don't have to deal with it. Like if IR yeah. fails out, the Cavo knows it fails out. It's not. It's just not your problem. You're still operating a Cavo remote. I just think the fact that they went so far as to build a web browser that just does stuff for you in the background at night. The if you have a DVR, like a crappy cable company DVR, the Cavo op- like will just open the DVR and it'll scroll through your DVR list of shows and scrape and scrape it. To index all the shows in your DVR at night when you're not around. Yeah, like when you're asleep, it's like it's got to rebuild the index. Cavo scraping. It's just like it's a little TV robot. I love it. So on the street today in my neighborhood, yeah, I saw an amazing ad. Yeah, it's kind of like um like a man with a van ad. Like it's an eight and a half by eleven piece of paper printed in black and white, all just text. It and like it starts on the top. It's all keywords. Free cable. PPV movies, PPV events, sports, adult channels, new and old movies, kids movies, all TV shows, music, and much, much more. All you need is internet plug and play. Then in italics, I am a programmer selling brand new Android boxes, which are streaming boxes. Then a new sentence, new line, underlined, and italics, all caps. Better than a fire stick. (laughs) It says, I install everything and anything. Want just movies? Got you. Want TV shows? Got you. Want <laughs> got kids' you. movies? Got you. Want adult movies? Got you. PPV and live events? Got you. List goes on and on. That's that's literally the text. List, list goes on and on. Brand new streaming boxes, fully loaded, very affordable. Oh, my God. My company is called Android. Nah, 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 nah. Ask for Steve. Did you, did you ask my for Steve? My company is called... Set up your pirate pirate box for yeah, you. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. My name is AndroidPlexSteve.com. Then written in pen, <laughs> written in pen, no gimmicks, no more bills. But then in other handwriting written in pen, it says thirty five hundred cable channels, any language for seven dollars a month, no gimmicks. So Yeah, that's just Plex. He's just gonna come set up Plex at your house. <laughs> that's that's fine. That's a good business if you're you know, that sort of person. I was very excited. About, uh, about Steve. All right, we got to wrap this up. Is there anything else we need to talk about? That Google Home Max came out. Echo Spot came out. Yeah. We reviewed both of them. Dan reviewed yep. both of them. They seem fine. I got an Echo Dot for myself for Christmas. There you go. <laughs> so you just got yourself an Echo Dot. Yeah. I canceled my Echo Spot pre-order. Why do you think Amazon is so insistent on putting cameras on stuff? Because they really think that video calling between kids and grandkids is. Or uh, grandparents and grandkids is a thing. I think I think they're f- maybe they're right. You think they're right? I mean, I th- if you are, you know, if you are just like a student of history, you know that network effects. Like if you build a communications platform for people and you get enough people in that network, the network effect is a huge moat. You really think it's communication? Right. You don't what like it's just straight up surveillance. I, I mean, Amazon's trying to steal five paintings. Amazon, Amazon wants to steal five <laughs> paintings. They know they have a long ways to go, so they need to like slow roll this. But I think Amazon wants to say, "Hey, I see that your favorite pajamas have become threadbare. I found some very similar that are supposed to be even more comfortable. I'm sure you'll love them." I mean, they that's make Amazon's, that product. They, that's Amazon's dream. I, I think first you have to light up the camera all the time. Like the number of steps. Mm-hmm. The first step is the camera's lit up all the time, mm-hmm. which is not currently true so far as we know, but Amazon, that's what Amazon says. Mm-hmm. So until they take the step of saying, we're lighting up the camera all the time, please continue to trust us. Right. I don't, that's a, that's a 
big hurdle. I think that's too much of a jump. I, I think, think their first jump is just getting people to want to buy Alexa devices instead of Google Home devices, instead of HomePods, instead of Cortana devices. I don't see how they can have any fundamental footprint in communication without having a phone or, but no, but that's or it. a so well-known messaging platform on a phone. If you're So I think that's why everything has a camera. I think if you get people addicted yeah. to the idea of, hey, drop in on mom, and it lights up and you're video chatting, like now you're definitely not going to buy a HomePod. And then when they do put out a phone, it's like seamlessly connected. So you can just drop in on mom again. Mm-hmm. That's and a huge moat. And it's all 3D. So, <laughs> and then it's like, your clothes are shitty. Do you want to buy some new clothes? <laughs> Prime is already sending you new clothes, you slob. <laughs> you work for us now. <laughs> what do you say? Clothes? Clothes. Clothes? Clothes. What? Clothes. Clothes. What's that from? C- clothes. Clothing. Clothes. Clothes. <laughs> no, <you> clothes. <laughs> <laughs> Andrew just shut us down. All right. That is, this, I will say, this has been one of our sloppiest broadcasts in a long time. But a good one. I'm glad you guys all listened. I think we had a good year. I mean, outside of the year that we had. It was good. Do you think? I had a good year. All right. Dieter? Pretty good year. Yeah. Good Tori Amos song. All right, so here's the deal. We're gonna we're off for the rest of the year. We'll come back in the new year, and then we're going to CES, and we're doing four live Circuit Breaker shows at CES. That's going to be bonkers. Dieter's going to be on. Lauren's going to be on. Ashley's going to be on. Paul's going to be on. Lots of CES coming your way. We're going to be using this feed for. I think Andrew has some wild ideas about behind the scenes Vergecast content, which I think will be fun. And then we're right back in it. So we're off for the rest of the year. We're back. Then at CES time, it's going to be wild. You can also listen to the Why'd You Push That Button Holiday Spectacular, which I'm told is coming out. Um, Why'd You Push That Button? I I just keep boosting the show. Uh, Spotify put them in their best of the year, which is pretty cool. Uh, You can also listen to Too Embarrassed to Ask with Lauren Good and Kara Switcher, which is wonderful. Kara hosts Recode Decode. And Peter Kafka hosts Recode Media. All wonderful shows, all on iTunes. Great. Review them. If you are listening to this and you haven't bought your holiday gifts, uh, you can read our gift guide and then click the links and buy things, but it's probably a little late for you. That's a little <laughs> it's probably a little too late for you. Anyway, that was it for us, 2017. We'll see you again next year and at CES. Rock and roll. Paul. Promo code. <laughs>